Jeremiah, whose words we have just heard, is the prophet of the last kings of Judah before the Babylonian exile. He's an unwilling prophet, as well he might be, because his job was to announce to Israel that Yahweh would not protect them against Nebuchadnezzar. His job was to persuade the kings of Judah to go into exile in Babylon and stick it out for 70 years while Yahweh reconstructed the world. Now, we have to pause a moment and think about how utterly unthinkable that would have been. Would we, for instance, believe someone who said, well, face it, you're so far off your moral game that ISIL really is going to win. So just go along nicely when they come to collect you, and in the next generation or so, something good will happen. Who would take a job like that? Only a prophet. Jeremiah was given a difficult task, but he lived in bad times. In the space of 55 years, Judah had six kings, some of whom were only in power for a period of months. Judah was a relatively prosperous vassal state of Assyria because it grew olives and made olive oil. But when Assyria weakened and Babylon began to gain power, Egypt saw its chance for a big land grab and went to war. So Judah's kings made deals with, was in, with whomever was in power. And so Judah, in the midst of great disturbance, was destabilized. In Judah, there was distrust of established government, concern about the economy, worry about terrorist attacks from every corner, and demand for mil military buildup as protection. Sound familiar? But it wasn't just political upheaval that got these people. The tribes of Judah had also had huge ideological degradation. For centuries, Judah had believed itself to belong to Yahweh in every sense. Yahweh was the divinity, and Yahweh's rules and laws were the laws of the land. The religion and the government were the same. But in Jeremiah's time, all that was falling apart. The shifting alliances of the kings, first Assyria, now Egypt, then Babylon, laid open the question of Yahweh's attitude toward Judah. Other gods, gods from these other places, were introduced from time to time. And underneath all of that upheaval, the question about what Yahweh was going to do and what Yahweh's relationship with Judah was became very critical. Because for all those hundreds and hundreds of years, Yahweh had been in the temple with the tribes, accessible. Many would have thought domesticated. Yahweh was on the side of the Judeans clearly because Yahweh was in the temple and there was this enormous liturgical and canonical presence and structure to prove it. And this relationship, you remember, began with a covenantal agreement between Yahweh and Moses at Sinai when Yahweh's terms for this covenant were understood as commandments which had to do with worshiping one God 
and living peacefully and justly with one's neighbors. You might say that Judah believed that Yahweh was steady, predictable, and permanent. You might say that Judah believed that Yahweh's presence meant that Judah would always be permanent and prosperous. But when Babylon began to threaten Assyria and Judah became their pawn, the economy of Judah shifted. What happens to an economy which is fueling a military buildup? What happens when people are terrified of invasion and war? The emphasis shifts from neighborliness to individualism, from the common good to the establishment of control and power. What happens to aliens, widows, and orphans in the time of war? Jeremiah, witnessing the denial of Judah that it had lost its covenant with God through its idolatry and failure of neighborliness, delivered the word that God's protection was not a sure thing. Jeremiah quotes God's indignation. Am I a God nearby, says the Lord, and not a God far off? I'm not your pet God, my friends. You can't use me to cover what you're doing. You are not invisible and invincible just because you have the temple. This is a tough thing to hear. What did God mean the tribes of Judah were not the holy people of God and protected? So you might see by now why I think this text is relevant to us. As I said earlier, Jeremiah later goes on to tell the kings of Judah to go, go to Babylon. And God would use Babylon to set the record straight by destroying Judean society. Of course, God becomes disappointed in Babylon because Babylon is not merciful. And so God raises up Daniel, you remember Daniel, who defeats Nebuchadnezzar. But this takes decades. God is doing what God will do. God is God to Babylon and Egypt and Assyria as well as Judah. God is God to the Islamic State of Iraq, to Syria, to China, to Hillary, to Donald, to communities of color, to law enforcement officers, and to each of us. God is merciful to all these people in God's time and in God's way. This ancient story of this prophecy is exceedingly relevant, I think, because we cannot be sure anymore that we are right with God. There's no automatic protection here. God requires us to pay attention to God's priorities. This whole process, the process of horrible collapse and then newness, is the process through which we know God, because only God brings newness. In our Christian story, we emphasize it in the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Jesus who says today, I come not to bring peace, but division. And there it is again, that bold statement that God is not to be co-opted in our typical habits of living. In the death and resurrection of Jesus, we know that God is merciful to the one who cares about justice, that God is merciful to the one who is neighborly above all. God is merciful to the one who is centered in God's mission. And we know that God can make anything new from 
anything broken, anything corrupt, anything dead. These are anxious times, to be sure, but they are also times for change. I believe that part of the tension in our times is the pushing up of the ground with newness. We have so many opportunities to think about the common good right now. For instance, what does the Second Amendment really mean? What is the role of social pressure and racism in our communities? In November, we will have the opportunity to vote for or against several initiatives which have to do, which have to do with repealing or altering the death penalty with gun control, with bilingual education, with health care, with parole issues. These are all things which concern the common good. And in Marin County, you can come to an action of the Marin Organizing Committee at the Board of Supervisors on August 23rd and shore up support for the rest shelter. The force of giant power machines in the world is frightening. It is, absolutely. But that power comes from people who, like us, who support them with money and propaganda and silence. The habitual crimes of violence in our inner cities and community of color is demoralizing, to be sure. But we can change the way we think about it. We can change the way we vote, the way we spend our money, the way we others understand other communities, the way we talk to our children about who our neighbors are and what they need. The world needs us to be prophets. The world is waiting for us to lead the way. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G We wish you God's peace and we hope to greet you in person very soon.